Well, can everybody say praise the Lord? Lord. Yes, the church does have a great name. Um, It had the name before I got there, so uh, it will remain Greek uh, for at least a foreseeable future anyway. Um, I actually went to steal your Greek Bible. I was going to take it away so you couldn't use it tonight, but my wife convicted me to put it back. So I put it back. I put it back. Uh, well, it's my great pleasure to be with you this evening. Uh, as uh, Brother Mark was saying, I'm going to be with you tonight, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and next Wednesday. And the reason for that is because of a mistake. Uh, <laughs> see, uh, when Pastor Mark, uh, normally uh, this time of year when he and, uh, and Beth go away, they typically have Loretta and I come in on this particular weekend, Labor Day weekend. Uh, and he sent me a few dates, and, and uh, he said you can, he put the way, the way the sentence was worded, I thought he was asking me to uh, take Sunday and uh, if I would take the two Wednesdays on either side of that. And I said, sure. And he wrote back and said, oh, great. That's not what I was asking, but okay. And he was wanting me just to choose one of them, uh, and, um, and I took all of them. So, uh, he, so, I, so, I, so I said... So I said, uh, I said, no, 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 no. If you just want me to take a Sunday and a Wednesday, that's fine. I'll leave the other Wednesday alone. He says, nope, too late. It's yours. You got it. So, so uh, we're here. And as a matter of fact, I actually I spoke tonight at our church in uh, in Little Rock. I actually uh, uh, went ahead and filmed my teachings uh, for my Wednesday night services. So they they actually watched me in Little Rock two hours ago, uh, and uh, on on video I did my teaching there. I'm doing a series there, and uh, but I get to be with you as well. So I tell you, we're going to have a good time. Uh, I know you're ready to receive the word. Your church is well taught in the things of God. I'm very happy to reacquaint myself with Mark. And I am so blessed that when we were in the back room, he told me he's actually bought himself uh, a Hebrew uh, Bible. Uh, and, uh, and because, of course, I'm a Hebrew guy and he's a Greek guy. And, of course, when the Hebrews and the Greeks get together, we know the old Maccabean story, the Greeks lose. And so... <laughs> Uh, and so it's great. He is. I want I everybody to understand. He has bought himself a Hebrew Bible in two volumes, right? Two Hebrew Bibles. Oh, two volumes, right? And I have not bought any Greek Bibles, which means I went two to nothing at the moment. And uh, I think we'll probably keep on going in that uh, in that direction. Uh, so no, it is a great pleasure to be here, and I'm very happy to be with you guys. Uh, are you ready for the word tonight? All right, open the Word of God, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. I'm not going to tell you something today that you don't know. Uh, you have heard these things uh, before, but I just want to redress them because I believe, <coughs> excuse me, I believe that they are very uh, pertinent for us uh, today. As you're turning there, I'd like to just to mention, if anyone is on Twitter and you'd like to, you'd like to kind of follow me, I, I post a lot of things on my, on my Twitter uh, feed. It's, if you're going to do that, it would be at uh, Dr. Scott Stewart. That's at Dr. Scott Stewart. Uh, Scott has two T's in it. Uh, and if you'd like to check me out on YouTube, you can, I have a YouTube channel. And it's, uh, if you just type in Pastor Scott Stewart, you'll see my little little icon pop up. I think it's a black and white one. You can click on that and you can watch a series of, uh, of videos that I have on there. Or you could uh, go to our uh, church website and you can find uh, a host of uh, sermons. We archive all of our sermons on, um, on our, our, our site. And that would be at uh, ACLR. Dot org. ACLR stands for Agape Church, LRLittleRock.org, and you can check out those things. Just go to the media and in the archive, and you can see those things as well. All right. Uh, we're going to talk tonight about something that I believe that is, is important for us right now, and uh, it's something that you may have heard about a lot of, but we're going to kind of go back and look at these things again 
Because I believe that we are in uh, a very, very interesting time in, in church life and world history. Uh, I want to talk to you about tonight and also next Wednesday. So I'm going to kind of give an introduction tonight and kind of finish it off next week. I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare. How many understand that we have an enemy? And enemies are typically not our friends. Now we understand that Jesus has won the victory for us. Amen? And if he's won the victory for us, the question I have is, then why aren't we living in it? It's one thing to talk about the legal side of redemption. How about the vital side of it? Legally, we are the righteous, righteous of God in Christ Jesus, then why don't we live righteously? Legally, we are the healed, then why don't we walk in healing? Legally, we are the blessed, then why do we still struggle with debt? Legally, God has made us all these wonderful things, but the vital side, the walking out of what God has done, seems to be lacking. Excuse me for just a minute. Let me just encourage myself in the Lord. <laughs> Amen, brother, you're right. That hurts, but tell me, tell me. Preach it. Okay. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord, so let it be written that I encouraged myself tonight as I preached. Now, whether you shout amen or not, it's true. And I know it's true because I've been a pastor for over 20 years. And I do a weird thing that you may never have heard of before, but it's called counseling. All right? And when I counsel with people, I find out that what they believe, they're not living. And unfortunately for us, uh, this becomes a great detriment to us because when people, if, if, when you look at different polling groups, Barna Group and other groups like that, and they ask people um, their impression of Christians, what their, what their impression of Christians and Christianity is. Unfortunately, it's not what we would like it to be. It's not uh, people of power, people of love, uh, compassion, understanding. It's hypocrite. That's the world's impression. The world's impression should not be hypocrite. Can I get an amen from somebody? Okay, the reason why they say that is because they see that we say one thing, we preach one thing, we teach one thing, but the reality of how we live and how we talk and what we experience is very different. So the fact of the matter is we have a wonderful group of promises the Lord has already given us. He has an enemy he's already taken the weapons away from and defeated. The question is not that. We've been taught that. We've been explained the utopian ideal and the identity that we have in Christ. The question is not that. The question is, if this is true and we all believe that it is, the question is then, then why don't we actually see it in manifestation in the life that we live and the world that we occupy? And that becomes a big question. And there's a bridge that must span the legal side and the vital side. There's a, there's a bridge that must span truth and the walking out of truth, what has truly happened in the reality on the ground. It's not enough just to teach it. We must also live it. And if we don't, then, then, then that title, that big, that big H of hypocrite is justifiably stuck upon us. Just as it is justifiably stuck on anyone else who says one thing and does Something else. We, we all understand that what, what the Lord has done for us and we celebrate those things and we must celebrate those things and continue to celebrate those things. But the walking out of those things is what's really going to change the world. When we put into action what we believe to be true, when people see in us what the word actually says they should see in us. And I'm not a big quoter of church fathers and Mark will know that, but... Uh, there is one, Francis of Assisi, he actually said this. 
He told his disciples, should I even do this? He's going to use this against me for years to come, I have a feeling. He, he gathered his disciples to go, to, to, uh, uh, to go out and preach. And he told them, he said, listen, he said, go everywhere and preach the gospel. And when necessary, use words. Go everywhere and preach the gospel. And when necessary, use words. In other words, you, our, our life needs to project that which we believe to be true. And that which we ha- hold in our heart. And you're looking at me like you've just noted that in your mind. Did I quote the wrong church father? Is that the right? Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> what did he just say? Oh, <laughs> hypocrite is a Greek word. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So now with spiritual warfare, as we know, with any truth of God's word, um, the enemy tries to come and push it off to an extreme, doesn't he? Uh, And he's done that so many times. And what happens, the purpose for that is to cause us to move off of truth. Um, Just let's take a couple of examples. We have uh, confession. We know we're supposed to confess the word of God. Amen. We believe in confession. As a matter of fact, you're not even saved unless you've confessed something. The Bible says you believe in your heart and you what? Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and then you're going to be saved. So, so when God crafted the plan of salvation, he could have crafted it any way he wanted to. He could have said, uh, just believe. And that would have been it. He could have said, I want you to believe and give something. He could have done that. He could have made the plan of salvation work any way he wanted to. But what he said is, I want confession involved in the rebirth, the birthing of the human soul. And so, so what he did was he made us confess. So we have to believe in confession. It's the very, the very doorway into our salvation experience. So he gave us that identification of confession. And we've taken that and we've used that. And, but, but how many other confessions gotten off into just a whole bunch of weirdness? Uh, back in the, when the Word of Faith movement was really started to move along, we got to a place where we were, we were, we were confessing so much, we got tagged with a tag called name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. Uh, and, uh, and the reason they said that is because confession went from the power of, of confessing God's word to confessing what we want. Red Ferrari, red Ferrari, red Ferrari. I got this. And we, we got, we were confessing what we wanted. We moved off of, you understand, the only thing that has power to do things is the word of God. Not just you saying something over and over again. What did Jesus say? He said, I don't want you just to keep repeating something, thinking you will be heard for your much speaking. That's what the hypocrites do. Greek word. The hypocrites. That's what they do. It's not, it's not that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be heard because I'm keep, I'm keep on saying the same thing. It's the speaking the word of God that has a creative force to change something. It's not just because I keep repeating something. And we had it move off to where we had it at our church back in, this is back whenever I was a wee lad, little boy. Um, but people would drive up under the portico of the church and people would run out, lay hands on people's Cadillacs or whatever they were driving and claim their car. <laughs> Blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. Claim people's car. I had one guy tell me, somebody walked up one time and grabbed a hold of his tie and claimed the tie. Are you kidding me? But that's, but that's us. Christians, we are, we are, we, 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 we love ditches. Somebody once said this. The only time a Christian is ever in the middle of the road is when he goes from one ditch to the next. And somewhere he crosses the middle of the road somewhere. He should have stopped right there because he was just in the right spot. But he kept on going to the other ditch and then bounce out and then go back over to the next ditch. 
That's just the way that we live ping-pong Christians. Just one side to the next. And so that's what we did with, with confession. We got to where we were no longer confessing God's word. We were just confessing our own wants and claiming things. And, and I had people come and ask me, would you agree with me? I'm conf- confessing and believing for this. And sometimes there was one, one story, a, a colleague, told, colleague told me, this one guy was trying to get these people to agree with him for this one woman to become his wife, but she was married to somebody else. And because what happened is, we, we, and, and all of a sudden what happened is when, when this began to get off in air, people pulled back away from this and began to lose the truth that we had. Our truth is only going to be found in the Word of God. It's not going to be found in just our wants. So we've had things like this happen with healing. You know, we, we believe that healing is God's will, it's God's plan, it's God's purpose. God always is willing to heal. He has the power to heal. He bore stripes to make sure that we could receive our healing. And then we have people get up and start teaching that going to the doctor was of the devil. You can't go to the doctor. You can't take any medicine. If you are, then you're not in faith. You're not a faith person. Listen, if I take an aspirin, I lay hands on my aspirin. I pray for that thing. Because it doesn't have the ability to heal me of anything. God is the only healer. Regardless of how that healing comes, God is involved in that. I've had surgeons tell me, or doctors tell me, listen, we can't heal or cure anything. We can either cut something out or we can kill it. But we can't heal Your body, they say, your body has to do the healing. We can't heal anything. We can zap it or we can cut it out. But really, something else has got to happen to heal you. We know that's God. God built in our bodies the ability to heal themselves. God put it in us. Healing is of God. But if you get people out here on the edge now condemning everybody for even taking an aspirin or having an operation, then you're way off. If that's the case and you have to ask the question, then why did the Spirit of God through Paul tell Timothy, drink wine for your stomach's sake? Why did he just say, hey, just be healed? Why did the Spirit of God tell the prophet to go put a poultice on Hezekiah to get him healed? I mean, we have to ask these questions because what happens is we've created a reality that is not real. The only way we truly are able to figure out where this bridge is supposed to be at is if we allow ourselves to ask the hard questions. And when we ask the hard questions, we are faced with the wonderful evidence of God's word, and it all makes sense. And we're able then to explain it in such a way that people can easily cross that bridge. But sometimes we, we cut this bridge by extremism or, or departing from the word of God or, or, or what have you. Prosperity the same way. Prosperity is the plan of God. Jesus became poor that through his poverty we might be what? Rich. He did all this for us, but then I've, had, I've heard people that you act, they have a, their church, their, their church's vision is that everybody in their church be a millionaire. Now that's a great goal, but is that why Jesus bled on the cross so you could drive a new car? I mean, honestly, did he suffer and have a spear in his side and nails through his hands and nails through his feet and a crown upon his head and believe and have his father turn away so you could drive a new car? It might be a fringe benefit of what happens, but come on. The cross had a purpose. It was much bigger than anything that we've got ourselves involved with. The cross accomplished a purpose. And if you, if you take your, your, I'm just saying car, it could be anything. I'm actually believing for a new car by the end of the year, by the way. (laughs) I I, I don't have anything against a new car, but what I'm saying, you you know what I'm talking about. If we're not careful, our faith becomes so terrestrial, so 
earthbound, so natural, so carnal, so low, so I confess what I want, that we lose the the, the gravitas, the, the strength, the power that is in the word of God, that's in the very cross itself. The cross then becomes that great bridge that grabs over here and over here and brings them together. And sometimes we forget that, and sometimes we forget that we have been led in a way that sometimes is not always taught. I, I fear sometimes that, that we've not recognized or we don't recognize as much as we should the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the way we, we, we should do. And I'm, I really appreciate us taking time for the Holy Ghost to, to talk to us. The day, when the day comes that we don't have time for the Holy Ghost, we should put a sign on the door that says, out of order, and everybody just go home. Because it's not worth it at the end of the day. What time am I supposed to finish up here anyway? I don't remember. Eight o'clock, all right. Okay, all right. Um, let's, let's talk about, let's get into the sermon. How about that, all right? Again, now, spiritual warfare, it's had its, it's, had its, its extremes as well. You know, people would show up at, at, at prayer meeting dressed in fatigues because they're going to do spiritual warfare, and they would swing their hands like they're using a sword or something like that. There was one gentleman that actually, he was a pilot. He, he retired. He bought an airplane, and he was having prayer meetings on his airplane. That in and of itself is okay, but what he was doing was he was putting all these people in his airplane. It was one of those big planes. I don't remember the size of it, but it was a big plane. And he would, he would take the airplane and he would fly it over whatever city they wanted to pray for, and they would fight with the power of the principality of the air in the airplane. I think Jesus made the statement and said, if any two, of you, two or three shall agree here on earth is touching anything, it shall be done, right? <laughs> you don't have to get up in the air in a, in a plane to do spiritual warfare. So, I mean, we, we've got way off into, into these extremes in this way. And, again, we cross the one, from one ditch to the next. But there is a truth here. And this truth is important because, whether we realize it or not, there is a battle that rages around us. Do we believe that Jesus disarmed the enemy? Amen? We believe that he won the victory for us. All right, we believe that. Now, when we know that's true, then we honestly have to ask ourselves the question, then why am I continually having to fight him? Why am I continually trying to keep him off my kids, keep him off my finances, keep him out of my job, keep him out of my head, keep him out of my body, keep him out of my mouth? Why? If it's done, and we know it's done, so th- that, that's not the question here. We need to find out the, the why and begin to deal with the why. Make sure we move ourselves out of the extreme or those things that take us off track of the Word of God and stay in the middle of the road. The Bible is a beautiful, wonderful book. The Bible, if you'll allow me to say this, the Bible is, how many would believe the Bible is a book about love? It's a book of love. Amen? It's a book of love. How about a book of redemption? It's a book of redemption. It's a book of faith, isn't it? But it's also a book of war. You know, the Bible mentions war and battles more than it mentions love. Love is mentioned 330 times in the whole Bible. And all the words that are affiliated with it, love, compassion, things like that, all the words that mean love, 330 times. War is mentioned over 500 times. We have an entire movement called the Word of Faith Movement dedicated to to the Word of Faith teaching. The word faith, believe, trust, all the words that convey that in the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end mentioned 550 times. War now rivals that very teaching. It's also a book of war, ladies and gentlemen. How many of there was a war fought in heaven? 
There's a war fought in heaven. All throughout the prophets, all throughout the judges, all throughout the Old Testament, we have one war after the next war, after the next war, after the next war, after the next war. And then when Jesus arrives here, we have the greatest war that ever took place. And then we find ourselves here in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaking. Jesus has already defeated the devil. He's already taken his weapons away. He's already defeated him on the cross and in the ground. And the Apostle Paul writes and says this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6, he says, For we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Can everybody say carnal? But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your disobedience is fulfilled. Even though Jesus has defeated and disarmed How many know we're still in a war? We are still in a war even though the victory has been won and guaranteed for us. We still yet are in a warfare. And in this warfare, we still have weapons that we're supposed to be using. Why do we have war? Because we have two kingdoms trying to occupy the same space. We have the kingdom of God and we have the kingdom of the enemy. And both these kingdoms are trying to occupy the same space. And what is that space? That is the kingdom of men. There's a kingdom of men, that's you and me, that's this earth. And both kingdoms are trying to invade and occupy this same space. And when you have two entities trying to occupy the same space, there will be collision. There will be conflict. And unfortunately, there will also be casualties within a war. There are casualties in every every war. And in every situation, we have to understand that in the midst of all this, we all know that we are more than overcomers, amen? And because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, we know that we have the victory guaranteed for us. And we're going to get to that next week. I want to impress upon us tonight and get us to accept the fact that we are actually, tangibly, tactically in a war. I feel the love tonight. I just feel the love we, we are truly still in a warfare that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And so it's, it's incumbent upon us to, first of all, to realize how we walk this thing out. We must first take time to realize we're actually in a war. Some of us walk around as if that is not the case. Let me say it this way. We have a war that we're in in right now, that is actually, it is real, but it's not natural. Okay? It's real, but it's not natural. When these thoughts come flying into your head, where are they coming from? They're coming from the enemy, right? And these are described as like fiery darts that are coming at you. Something is being shot at you. I find that a part of the issue that we as believers have is that our enemy is taking this a lot more seriously than we are. He's a lot more strategic at what he is doing than we are aware of. And as pastor, I can tell you, one of the things that hurts me more than anything else is to see people who love God, are passionate about the things of the Lord, and what happens is their life gets sabotaged by the enemy. It falls apart. It destroys families. It hurts children. It kills people. 
All because we were ignorant of the devil's devices. Why would, why would the Apostle Paul say, we are not ignorant of the devil's devices unless the devil has devices? They're out there. And I want to position you to win. I want to, thank you, sister, in the back. I want to position you to win because that's what Jesus died for. He came, if you remember, he said, the Bible says, he came that he might destroy the works of the devil. So did he accomplish what he came to do? All right, then the devil's works are destroyed. So then now you and I then occupy the reality of that and walk this out. And we should not have a problem with a defeated enemy anymore. But you've got to realize that there is a war that's going on. We have a, uh, a guy in our church who's a, in the military and he was recently deployed. And, uh, you know, it was, that, it was that kind of thing. He's a very high-ranking guy. So it was that kind of thing like I would talk to him and he would say, Pastor, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. You know, that type of thing, you know. And, then, and he would kind of slip out a few little, little things to me that he felt he could, he could trust me with. But I am glad that this guy is going over there understanding he's going to face an enemy. And you know what? I'm glad he knows how to use his weapons. I'm glad he knows how to use the gun. I'm glad he knows, I'm glad he knows how to put on the body armor. Do you? You have body armor that God intends for you to wear. And our body armor must be in place because I don't know if you do those or not, but the devil never takes a vacation. He doesn't. So we have to come into the realization that we are truly in a warfare and the enemy takes this much more seriously than what most believers do. Look what Jesus says here. Let's go to Matthew's gospel, chapter number 16. We're going to look here in verse number 22 through 23. Matthew 16, 22 and 23. Then Peter took, and this is, this is the apostle Peter, he's not the apostle at this moment, but he comes to Jesus and he, and he, and he, Jesus has now revealed that he's going to die. And Peter took him and said, began to rebuke him. And he said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. That sounds like a good faith confession, doesn't it? And he's rebuking Jesus because his confession was so poor. I'm going to die. No. And he gives him this good faith confession. And you know the story. And what happens? Jesus looks and he says, and then, next verse, verse 23. And he turned and he said, Peter, he said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. He goes on to say, for you are an offense to me. You savor not the things of God, but the things that be of men. I want us to pay attention to this, that Jesus did not look at Peter, but what was motivating Peter. We need to make sure that we see the same way. You might have, you guys have any problem with anybody in your life? (laughs) I'm glad you don't. You're just a happy church. You just laugh like that. You're just a happy church. Now, now listen, Jesus Jesus loved Peter. Peter was his friend, his homie. (laughs) That's a Greek word. His homie. They they were. He was his his number one guy, and, and, and Peter was always there, and Peter's the one who walked in the water, and Peter's the one who did this, and Peter's the one who did that, and Peter's the one who had the good confession and said, no, that's not going to happen to you, Lord. No, sir. Mm-mm. And Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. See, Jesus was able to look at the spirit behind the person. 
Sometimes we are so earth, earthbound and carnal that we feel what we need to do is just talk to that person enough and we can change them. No, what you need to do is you need to realize that the, the spirit world is more real than the natural world. If you can see in the spirit right now, this room is full. Not full of devils. It's full of angels right now. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says they walk around with a book listening to you. Malachi says, and when they hear you talking about the Lord, they write it down in a book called the Book of Remembrance. You know, the Bible says at the end of the time when we get in heavens and we're all going to be judged, the Bible says, and then they will open up the books. Not the book of life, singular, but the books. What books do you think they're talking about? Open up the one book, the book of life. Yep, there's your name. And now let's open the other book. Uh, you were talking to Mark over here about that dumb Greek rendering that one time. And, uh, and I remember that. I mean, think, think about this. Think about this for a moment. Angels are active. They're, they're, the spirit world is more real than what we, we are sometimes we are the most we are the most spiritually powerful people on the planet and some of the most spiritually dense people on the planet and the angels are probably walking around and saying why don't they just deal with this the nation is is going this direction or that direction depending on your point of view I'm sure they're saying why don't they stop that why don't they just rise up, take the authority? Because I seem to remember somewhere, somebody very well known said that the earth of the creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The earth is groaning and travailing, waiting for you to do something. Well, you know, whatever the politicians decide, that's what they, it should be what we decide. If truly Jesus has given us all authority and all power, then use it just to bring down the gas prices of nothing else. I mean, come on. Who are you? You're the body of Christ. What is at your disposal? The very power of God, the word of the Lord. And the people that are irritating you, brother chalkboard, just, just whatever, just, just that irritation. <laughs> You see that person coming at you, you can already feel that tension coming up in the back of your neck. You can feel it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Every, listen, if we allowed ourselves to understand that behind what's happening, there are spirits out there. Does anybody in their right mind believe that, that, that God is behind abortion? Then what spirit's behind that, do you think? I mean, it, it, it would be very simple if you just broke down, I mentioned politics a few moments ago, it'd be very simple if you just broke down political party agendas and said, I wonder, is, is that something that can be confirmed by the word of God? Would God be behind that? No. Eh. Easy. Done. Sorted. Finished. Well, I got to stick with my with this and stick with my that. What is this all about, Scott? I have no idea. But it just kind of, just kind of, it's kind of a Greek thing that just kind of came on me there for a minute. Doesn't it look kind of weird? 
Why am I on this Greek thing tonight? I don't know. It's something on my shoe. All right. It becomes quite, becomes quite easy to figure out what's God and what is, and what is not. And, and, and because we have become, it's like the proverbial frog in a pot. You know, you, they say if you take boiling water and throw a frog in it, it would jump out immediately. But if you put a frog in a pot when it's cool and you heat it up slowly, it boils itself to death. And that's where we're at right now. You know, I used to say this all the time when, I, when we lived in Europe. Um, I used to preach this way. And I used to, to preach, and maybe some of you even heard me say this. And, and I've, I've said that I used to live in, when we lived in Europe, I would say, now we live in the future. And we come back to the past, which is America, to tell you what your future looks like if you don't change. And I did that for decades and decades. Well, not decades. I did that for years and years because I'm a, a young pup. I couldn't do decades and decades. But I did it for years and years and years. And ladies and gentlemen, we're this close to being in Europe right now if we're not already there. But you know what? Even in Europe right now, you, our kids in schools, even as as the issues that we experienced in Europe, they could always talk about Jesus in school. When Christmas came along, nobody was so stupid as to not talk about what Christmas was. Even if they only talked about it from a historical standpoint. Our children in, in secular school, when they, did this, they did the Christmas play. We have gone so much faster and so much further in such a short period of time, it boggles the mind. You see, the church in Europe had a chance to stop what was happening, and they decided to appease instead of stand their ground and do what was right. And we find ourselves in the same place right now. If we don't believe that we're in a spiritual war, just look at our world right now. Does anybody think things are getting better right now on the planet? I don't think so. And if what we're going to do, if we're not careful, what happens is we continually are pushed to compromise or push. And, and this is why I don't do this often. And, and you can criticize me for this if, you, if you'd like, and my time is up now. But, but, you know, I don't go to a lot of ecumenical things. And ecumenical, if you're not sure what that means, ecumenical, I'm invited to ecumenical things from time to time. Um, and basically it means you get all the pastors in town together. Because somehow people believe if all the pastors will get together, that's going to fix a lot of stuff. And typically what happens is this. All the pastors get together, and the ones who are on fire, filled with the Holy Ghost, believe the word, and I've seen it too many times not to believe this is true, what happened is all of them are the ones who compromise. They do. Why? Well, you get all together, and all pastors, okay, now we're going to pray. Well, half of them are saying, well, if you, you know, we don't want to pray in the name of Jesus. So what do the, the spirit-filled, on-fire, Bible-believing guys do? They pray, and they end the prayer. They don't use a name. Or they stand together praying, and none of them are going to pray in the Holy Ghost because the people that are around are not going to be in favor of that. And you find those that you would expect to be the powerhouse, the ones that pull back. We cannot be surprised at the results we have in our, in our world and in our nation if the pulpits stop roaring. And the pulpits have to roar. And we have to roar. Because you see, the enemy does not create anything. He just imitates and counterfeits. If we, number one, if we take, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to close up here. Number one, if we, if, we, if we first understand we are in a battle, we are in a war. It is a, vict- a war we have won, nonetheless. But how many know that even once you win a war, you still keep an occupying force in place to reinforce the victory, right? 
You just don't pull out. That's one of our big, our big debates on, in Capitol Hill. When do we pull out? When do we pull out? Why? Because if you pull out too soon, bad stuff happens. So even though you win, you still occupy. You reinforce the victory. So we have to make sure that we understand, number one, we are in a war. If we were not in a war, we would not need armor, as Galatians tells us. We would not need weapons, as Corinthians tells us. And we certainly would not have to be aware of the devil's devices because he wouldn't have any more. So we're in a warfare that is being fought. So you have to accept the fact, although it's not a popular thing to do, we have to accept the fact there is a war that is going on. That's why I fight thoughts in my head. That's why I fight symptoms in my body. That's why I fight, fight issues in my family. That's why I fight issues with people because there's still a war raging. There's still a war that is going on. So you accept that. Not just you like it, but it's there. And then secondly, you accept the fact that it is not natural. It is, it is, a, it is a real, but it's not natural. It is fully and totally spiritual. If you understand that the, the, the angels walk around and pay attention and listen to us and write down what we're saying, it might kind of help you change what you're saying a little bit. But let me also say this. The Bible tells us, and I'll end with this verse of Scripture, the Bible says this here in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, your devil, I'm sorry, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. You know this verse of Scripture very well. All of you do. This tells us also that the enemy is not finished looking whom he may devour, which obviously tells us that he can't devour everybody, but some people he can. And so just like the angels walk around and listen to what mankind has to say and writes it down, how many of the, the enemy walks around and listens to you as well? You guys remember that, you guys remember that movie called Passion of the Christ years ago? Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but one thing I remember that really stood out to me and really made a lot of sense to me is if you remember some of the scenes in the, in the movie one thing that, that uh, Mel Gibson did, and I thought he did pretty well, is that whenever Jesus was teaching or the disciples were doing something, in the background you could see the devil walking around. Remember that? He's always lurking in the background, listening, watching. You heard of familiar spirits before? They're called familiar because they're aware of you. They're familiar with you. They're familiar with your family, your grandparents. They hang around. They listen. They get to know you. They're they're working in that way. And our job is not to be ignorant of what they're up to so that we can keep our foot on their neck and do the things that God has told us to do. But so many people have have said, well, the victory is won and taken that, that legal thing and never walked out the vital side and just backed off. And now we're like, what, why is this all happening? I don't, I don't understand why all this stuff is going on. It's because we've lost the reality that we are still in an occupation army that is here to occupy until he comes. And to hold the ground and to keep our foot on the neck of the enemy that has been broken for us. Amen? So it is, we are in a war. It may be real, but it's not natural. So we need to be aware that we are dealing with spiritual forces. Now, I'm going to leave you with this, and that is this. And you know this to be true. You're more than an overcomer. Greater is he that's in you, that's, he that's, in the, that's in the world. The battle is already won. Your foe is a defeated enemy. All his weapons have been taken away from him. You know all those verses of Scripture. So we go out of here standing in that victory, but be aware that when someone starts opposing you, it's not them. There's something behind them. If something's happening in our nation that we know is not right, we don't sit back and say, well, whatever Congress is going to do. No, we make the decisions in the spirit. We, may, we might have a natural thing like voting this or voting that, but our a power and our authority is in, the, is in the spirit. I'll give you a quick little tip as I'm going to close up here. How many times do I close? How many closes do I get here? 
Three or four? Okay. How many is Pastor Mike you have? A lot. Okay, right. All right. So I'll make this my last one. I do this on a regular basis. And I'm just going to kind of tell you a little bit of my own personal private prayer life and kind of how I do things. One thing I do probably six, seven, eight times a week is I speak out either my future, I speak out what I'm doing, where I'm going, I speak out into the future. I've always done this. And when I do that, I get alone with the Lord and I pray. But one thing I always do when I'm going to speak this thing out, I always take time and I pray to bind up any listening ears that are trying to hear what I'm trying to say. I say, what I'm saying out of my mouth right now, Father, I thank you that only you, your angels, and myself hear what's being said right now. Because you know what? Your enemy, your adversary, like a roaring lion, is seeking whom he may devour. So I bind up those ears. Why? Because I am aware that they're out there. I'm aware that they're not my friends. Guys, this enemy is a mortal one. He wants to kill you. He wants you dead. This is a real encouraging, uplifting sermon tonight. But but I'm just trying to get you to to, to realize this is not a nice guy. He's not a guy in a red suit and pitchfork and Halloween costume. This guy is out for us. Now, we have our big brother Jesus standing in front of us, and I'm ready to get us to that point to where we don't have to have these issues anymore. But I've counseled too many people who've done too many dumb things because they were not aware that there was something out there. I was reading a book the other day that my someone bought me. Okay. Someone bought me this book, and it was about suffering. And this is a major theologian in America today. But called his name, some people might know him. I know at least geek over here would know him as well as this geek here knows him. But, uh, and I'm reading this book here, and I'm just waiting for him to talk about human suffering. And I'm waiting for him to get to the point to where he talks about the devil and the, the, the enemy of our souls and all that. And I'm just not getting it. If we get too far into just reasoning and to conflict resolution and and talking these things out, and having closure, and all those things are fine and wonderful, but they're only going to last that long if you don't deal with the mess that's behind the whole thing in the first place. If there was a problem, and this is the problem within theological seminaries. Theological seminaries were very, very good at one time. They were very good. As a matter of fact, and I know I'm going over here, but hey, I'm pastor for a week, so that's okay. All right, um, you know, they were very good at one time. And one of their main focuses was Hebrew, okay? It was Hebrew. It was. You look at the crest of Yale University, it's all Hebrew letters, not an English word or a Greek word anywhere on that. Uh, but but all, of our, all our Ivy League schools were started by, were, were, were Bible colleges. Dartmouth, Princeton, Columbia, Harvard. All of them were Bible schools. Every last one of them. They were Bible schools. But unfortunately, they lost the reality of what they were all about, and they began to substitute and let go of things. And one of the things they let go of was they let go of the study of of languages and started substituting counseling for it. And when they started doing things like that, they began to pull away from the ground. They began to pull away from the substance. And now, I mean, even Princeton recently, maybe you've heard this, Princeton, I tell you, the devil doesn't do anything new. He just copycats what God does. Because God believes in confession, what the devil does is God, the devil takes the idea of confession, he takes it, perverts it in the world, and gets our government to stop calling things what they actually are. 
Let's not call things terrorism anymore. Let's call it man-made disasters. Let's not call this anymore. Let's call it that. Begin to change what words mean, trying to create a new reality. That's all the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to use the opposite of confession to make the reality he wants to happen in the world. And Princeton, unfortunately, has fallen under that same spell. Princeton was started in 17, 1746. You think about that for a moment, that's before we were a nation. It was a Bible school. Males only Bible school. Their, their crest, it says, Vem and Novo Testamentum. Their, their, their crest just says Old and New Testament. It's a Bible. This is what they say. It's a Bible. A little banner underneath it, and it says, Under, with the power of God, she, she prevails. She referring to the, the college. Boys only. Stayed boys only from 1746 all the way until 1969. Until they finally let women to come into the school. They continued to re- re- bring down their what they thought was right, what they thought was right, what they thought was right. And now just last week, now maybe you've heard this, but now Princeton has now banned the M word at Princeton. You're no longer allowed to say the word man at Princeton University. The school that began for men, ministers, to go into the ministry, now you cannot say the word man. Yeah, you can't say man anymore. Yeah, oh, you can't say that. You got to say, oh, individual. <laughs> oh, individual? Oh, oh person? You, you, but you can't say, you can't say, oh, man anymore. You can't say, uh, how many man hours did you work? Can't say that. You can't say, can I have someone man the cameras? Can't say that. You can't say foreman anymore. The list goes on. and You can't say anything with the word man. You can still say woman. But, uh, but you can't say man anymore. If we give the devil an inch, you know as well as I do, he'll take a mile. And he will try to emasculate the men of this country and change us from the glory that God gave us, men, into something very different. The Bible says, men, and I'm not saying anything derogatory here towards, ladies, I'm just giving you the word. The Bible says that men are the glory of God. Women are the glory of man. But men, we have a place. Listen, let me tell you this. When, when, when the devil deceived Eve, and then she gave to her husband, we know that story. When Eve ate the fruit, guess what happened? Nothing. Read the story. Her eyes weren't opened. Nothing changed until Adam ate it. Then the eyes were opened. And when God came in the garden, he went straight to the one responsible and said, Adam, we think the Bible says, Adam, where are you? It doesn't say that in Hebrew. In Hebrew it says, Adam, how, how are you like this? How, are you? How, how has this happened to you? How have you become this? I can't even find you anymore, Adam. Not just naturally, yes, he was hiding, but spiritually, God could not find him. You know, the Bible says that God would come down in the cool of the day. It doesn't say that in Hebrew either. It says he would come down in the ruach of the day. God would come down in the spirit of the day. He and Adam would meet spirit to spirit. All of a sudden, he said, said, I couldn't find you. How did you get this way, Adam? Men, now it's time for us to stand up and do something that we should have been doing a long time ago. Oh, and I would say man up, but I have to say person up. Because we can't say man up anymore at Princeton University. 
It's time to change our world. We can do that by beginning on this journey that Jesus has already guaranteed victory for each one of us. Can you say amen? God bless you. Uh, oh, I'm going to be dismissing. That's right. Sunday morning at 9.30, we're going to be here. Please don't come alone. Bring somebody with you. We're going to have a good time in the Lord. God bless everybody. We'll see you on Sunday.